Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. I tell people all the time, revisit the failures more than you revisit the success. Revisit the moment where you felt doom and gloom coming down on you and find the lesson, because that is where the gold is. The gold is not in the success. The gold is where you struggled, where you felt like you were on your knees. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gathers, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Mrs. Karen Gamba. Karen is the founder and chief marketing officer of EXV Agency, which is a small business development firm. She's also the founder of Women Building Women, which is a nonprofit that helps women in underserved communities with mentorship and career counseling. Great conversation. We talked about what it was like for her growing up in apartheid in the late 70s and 80s and how that affected her thinking. We talked about personal branding and what are some of the things that uh, you can do to create a personal brand and to spread it out into the world to help with your either personal or business success. Obviously, we discussed her truth, which weaved a tale or a story of her entrance into corporate America and eventually what happened to lead her out of corporate America, what truths she learned, what things she learned about herself. Then we did a new new section I'm trying out called This or That. So This or That is a, is a fun section I do at the end, kind of like what I used to do with Yes or BS, but I say This or That. And Karen gave us her preferences on different things from politics to food to personal habits. So Great episode. I hope you enjoy it. Close your eyes, open your ears, and let's do it. Good people, welcome back. Another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. I am here today with Miss Karen Gamble. What's up, Karen? Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Happy to have you on. So we did the intros already. Let's jump right in, Karen, to the Truth Prescription. Tell us uh, a story about something in your life that caused a breakthrough for you, right? There was a truth that either you were ignoring or you weren't aware of that after acceptance, you said, hey, life is so much better now. I should have did this 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, the old time machine that we wish we all had at a certain point, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. So I was in the wheel of corporate America for most of my career. I was working in client and business development during apartheid as a person of color. We were kind of raised in this in this world of keep your head down. If you see something that isn't right or doesn't feel right, just be thankful that you're still okay and keep out of trouble and 
Everything on paper to me during my corporate career had a great salary, a great job by all means. Something was missing and I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on what it was. And I kept kind of jumping between the person I was, where I grew up in South Africa in this family of color that had certain restrictions. And of course, keep your head down, just just be happy for what you have. And this, what seemed like a real gift to me, because I was living in New York, I was living in the Big Apple, everything seemed perfect. And everything in my instincts said to me, just keep your head down, listen to what mommy and daddy said, don't cause a fuss. It took a moment for me to realize what it was. I was going to all these big corporate conferences with investment banks and law firms, and I was constantly seeing men on the panels when I was working with very educated women, women of color. And I actually started something called Women Building Women. And it was working with conference facilities and sponsors and the people I knew to kind of give me a leg up to create a forum for women. I didn't exclude men from it. I I didn't want to repeat the mistakes of of what I'd seen before because discrimination is discrimination is discrimination and there's layers to it. And I realized that I had a particular bias in my eyes that also needed to be worked on and is constantly worked on, to be honest. So it was my life in corporate America and my life in South Africa that made me realize that something was amiss, but it took me a very long time to actually take action and try and do something about it. I started this forum. I went and spoke to someone about helping me this forum for women. And that's when I kind of made the break from corporate America, which is one of the scariest things yes, you can ever do. One is. of the scariest things a human can do is agreed. leave a salary behind agreed. No, agreed. and try and do, just to try and do something that, is going to reshape the way you know things should probably be. And and you're going on your instincts and your gut. And the way I look at life is that we're all surfing on different waves. We're all on different frequencies and we've all had our own experience that make us either rise to the surface of the surf or drown or really struggle and fight those waves and the same lenses. And I was trying to come at this with as much sensitivity as possible. And I was getting pummeled by the waves constantly. So long, very long story short, it was me kind of keeping my head down in corporate America and quiet and realizing that there was an inequity in people who were educated, were not getting access to a table. Then I stripped the layers back even more because I realized if an Ivy League educated woman wasn't getting access to a table, what about a woman from a marginalized community that never got to finish high school in the first place? And this kind of started this tailspin of what shifted my life to what I do now to what I did then and leaving the security of what my parents were very proud of what I was doing, working in corporate America in Manhattan, this little South African girl. And then turning everything on its head, I listened to, my father said to me, you listen to nothing I taught you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Living a life of purpose often means defying those who have guided you and created a, created their own purpose. It's a challenge, but that's when you really get to put, put your big boy and big girl pants on, right? When you start directing your own life 
I always marvel at how, if you think about it from when we're born to when we graduate from college, if you go to college, basically your whole life is scheduled. They tell you when to get up, where to go, what to learn. And then when you get out into the real world, it's like, oh, okay, well, let me just, you just, but my point is you're conditioned to follow some external to how you guide yourself. And so when someone does something like you and something like what I've done in my life as well, and you break from the corporate structure, you kind of feel like you're in no man's land. So I think that's actually a, a great place to, to start my first question. In your business, the business development company, EVX, you help people through blueprints, right? What is the blueprint of yeah. this? What is the blueprint of that to help move your business forward? For someone who's contemplating doing this, and they're all there are many of us who have this urging inside of us that we know something's just not right. Right. It's like there's some there's something off here in, in my life. There's something more I could be doing, another way I could be serving. When people come to that realization, what is the mindset that you would you would recommend that they begin to t- to take, right? In order to be able to make that dream or make that inkling a reality? That is a very big question that I think we constantly <laughs> battle with, right? Yeah. Because I don't think we ever have anything fully ironed out. The thing I found is that many of us do not trust our instincts. Mm. Many of us have put ourselves in situations with people, jobs, you name it, where we knew it wasn't the right thing. We felt it in our bones. (laughs) We still, we sat through, (laughs) Dr. Seku gathers, you know, you sat that touch and you didn't want to be there. In the bones, yeah. (laughs) You were struggling to get that Caesar salad down, but you did not want to be there. So my point is simply this. We ignore our instincts and our instincts are real. The thing that took me so long to realize what my purpose really was, was that I ignored my instincts. I felt that the glamour of getting an opportunity to speak at the Harvard club with some of these huge hedge fund people was was the pinnacle of success because these were things my family and many people in South Africa from our communities never had access to. So I thought that was it. And the screaming voice within my soul that simply said, run girl. I was not listening to that. So When you are trying to make this decision in your life about whether you're going to stay, whether you're going to go, of course, there's a lot of things on paper you need to consider. We don't need to go into that. But I think looking at the legacy of the decisions you've made to that point, where those decisions have taken you, where you have ignored instincts that you should not have ignored, revisit. I tell people all the time, revisit the failures more than you revisit the success. Revisit the moment where you felt doom and gloom coming down on you and find the lesson because that is where the gold is. The gold is not in the success. The gold is where you struggled, where you felt like you were on your knees. So I'm not saying this to be doom and gloom here. What I'm saying is there is triumph in the moments where we felt that everything was lost if you look at it the right way. And I think in analyzing those moments where we felt like the fork in the road forked again and again was where we found the breadcrumbs of where we needed to be. Because every single time a door shut and I felt that I lost, oh, I am so sorry. 
<laughs> He's like, preach, okay. sister, preach. He believes you. He agrees with you. Listen, there's no mistakes. He's like, people listen. You hear that dog barking? Even the dog saying, people listening, listen to what, what the woman's saying. All right, keep going. <laughs> Every single time a door shut in my face where I felt always lost, this was my golden opportunity gone, yeah. was when the real opportunity came. And sometimes that opportunity is simply the silence you have with yourself to do some self-discovery. And that's where I learned the most, Yeah, honestly. I think what you're talking about is the mindset of the victor versus the mindset of the victim. Being able to look at those situations and not feeling beat down, downtrodden, oh, woe is me, but more like, all right, this thing happened. I mean, if you want to say, I, I say the universe, what is the universe trying to teach me? If you don't like the universe, what is life trying to teach me? What's going on here? Because there's no mistake that these three things keep happening to me year after year. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not making an adjustment. And I think um, it's really important what, what you said. Like, it's almost like what you talked about, you know, even the silence that you have after a quote unquote loss, it's a gift, right? How often do you have silence or a moment to just Oh, okay. What is actually really going on? So really important. Yeah. I'll encapsulate it as basically taking the gift from the perceived loss. That's kind of what you're talking about in terms of mindset. Absolutely. And I think something we are conditioned to do because I think every single person in their own way has an ambition to do well and, and be a good person. But it, it's like those little baby toys where you put the star into the star shape and the circle into the star shape. Sometimes we're trying to put the triangle into the square <laughs> and we're, we're trying to do it for way too long. And we know we're trying to jam that star right. into the triangle. Get in there. Um, get in there. Get in there. Because we, we, it, on paper, it looks like it's the right thing. Yeah. And we know what the definition of insanity is, right? If, if we chalk that up to how many times I kept hitting my head on the same bar over and over again and wondering why things weren't changing, I guess I'm completely insane. The good news is that the lesson is learned and the lesson is never fun to learn in the moment. Maybe it's never fun at all. No, it's, it's extremely uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Similar to what we talked about before, it's finding the comfort in a discomfort fighting the, the, the gift or joy and the challenge or the lesson. You know, along those same lines, one of your mentors, uh, Nina McCann, gave you some great advice about personal branding, right? And the importance of personal branding, right? So folks that are they're transitioning, if they haven't already done that, personal branding definitely helps you to sort of sit in that space you want to sit in and be successful. It takes time, obviously, because a brand is about how people, when people see you or hear your name, what's the thought that comes, right? What's the thing? And when people hear Nike, they think just do it. And then they think supreme athletic performance. Those are the three things, the vision of the logo and then the thought. And so with personal branding, how would you, I saw you wrote a whole article on this. So I know, I know this is an area that, that, that you enjoy. Again, talking about mindset, how do you approach personal branding? And how would you recommend someone, again, that's trying to make that transition approach it? Or, you know, if, you, if you're actually happy where you are in corporate America or in a corporate role or in a role as an employee working for someone, what are some of the, the ways that you can do that? I love this question and I've given it a lot of thought because there are people who are heavily cemented into their companies and their roles and what they do. And you say Nike and I say 
Joan, because Joan works at Nike and she always has, you know, we, we know those people, we know those people that are associated with certain companies and brands. And I think that is great. However, what I have learned, especially in these two years where the earth has now consistently been moving under our feet, the floor is lava, as I say, it is constantly the floor is lava right now. Things can change in an instant. And if Nike is no longer there, who is Joan? And what is Joan's story? I am a writer and a journalist at heart. I like to get to the story of the person behind the company. If you're opening a restaurant, I want to learn about the chef. I want to learn about why he bought the ingredients he bought to make the menu. And I want to learn about the team he put together and why he did it. And I think that is the beauty of personal branding that people tend to forget. People think branding, they think logos, they think websites, they think podcasts, uh, they think TV shows. It's so much more than that because every single person you meet who gives you the time of day to get to know them has a story, a unique story and a story that makes them tick and made them take the journey to be in that room with you in that moment. And that's what I think is really important about personal branding, because it should be called core values. What are the values behind the person? Why does Joan work at Nike? What is it about the company ethos that makes her tick, that she goes home at night to her family and feels proud of what she does? And I think people tend to forget the importance of their own personal stories. It's so much more than just being a name on a marquee. It's about learning who you really are and having someone help you tell that story. Because I think in your own self-discovery, there is great wisdom to be learned. We are sometimes so hard on ourselves and we tend to forget the little things we've done to survive. And we tend to forget those moments where we made decisions that changed everything and made things better, not only for ourselves, but for the people around us. And I think those stories need to be heard. So for me personally, when I approach personal branding for a company or a client, I drill down to some of the really hard things in their lives and have them tell me a story in a different way. Because I think positioning someone's story to get to learn to know someone before you even try their product is what the goal really is at the end of the day. We're lacking connectivity as humans, especially now in this world we live in. We are craving connectivity. We want to know that when we're buying a product, that it's coming from a good place. And within that, the personal branding story is incredibly important, especially now. Consumers are so smart. We'll speak again about the world we grew up in without an internet, but now you can Google anything and anyone. And it's very important to have your brand and your story reflect who you really are. Yeah. And, and the other piece is there's so many options, right? And so what really differentiates this, I'll just say a kite company, this kite company from that kite company, right? It's the story behind the, the brand and the story of the creators behind the brand. And to your point, everybody has a, everybody has a unique story. A friend of mine, um, uh, Ali Muhammad, he's a, entrepreneur and uh, film producer. He said this thing to me one time on a podcast when I interviewed him a couple of years ago. He said that if you just be yourself, you will be undefeated because nobody can match you. 
And I, and I always remember that that is just, it's so, it's so profound, right? As yourself, you're undefeated. And I think it just speaks to, to how instead of trying to not even fit into some other mold, just really niche down and just be yourself, right? Just, just be you. It leads back to the fact that we often don't trust ourselves and we don't trust our instincts. Yeah. And it takes a while to get that mindset right. And sometimes it takes someone to state something very obvious to you, but you actually have to hear it before it resonates. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. And not just for them to say it, but you have to be in the right, like, you have to be in the right place, mindset, you know, eating, eating that. Maybe it's that moment when you eat the Caesar salad, somebody says something to you, you're like, yep. oh, I've been waiting to hear that for 20 years. Right. So speaking of that, I think uh, you have a really unique perspective. I don't think I've ever talked to someone who's who grew up in South Africa, particularly in the late the late 70s, early 80s. How did that environment sort of shape you and shape your mindset and how you approach things? Well, it's really interesting because I love history books. I love to read about the history of the world and reflecting on things that have happened in human history over time has always been something really interesting to me. With a love of film that I have and and books, I spent my whole life reflecting on these things. And there are movies I watch that are in black and shot in black and white, you know, because they're so old. That's how you know a movie's old, as if it's in black and white, right? Or at least it was when I was a kid. And there were these images that resonated with me that seemed like it was so, so long ago that these terrible things happened, right? And yet I remember as a child in living color, I'm not that ancient, where I had to go to a separate window with my family, where there was the the whites only sign where we couldn't drink from a certain fountain, you know? So I experienced that with my family and I have older siblings who have seen worse than I have. You know, I was growing up in a time when when revolution was coming and things were changing. So I didn't even see the things they saw. And it's amazing, Seiko, that you can speak to people in South Africa that grew up five years before me and five years before them. And the lines had changed so very significantly in these tiny little spurts of time. But I remember these moments so clearly where there was a very deep divide in who we were and who everyone else was. What I would see in black and white movies and books were things that were very real to me and my life. And I think that was something that really affected really the story I told you earlier on of how I kind of tried to keep my head down when I saw things were not fitting the way it should. My father was an excellent sportsman. He really was, but he was never allowed to play at a provincial level or at a national level. Or if he was brought in to play provincially or nationally, he would play, they would win, and he would have to sit outside while the others went into the clubhouse. You know? What sport was this? Cricket. Cricket. He was an excellent, yeah, he was an excellent cricketer. You know, there's these things when you sit around the fire with a family or, you know, you're, you're, you're just having a chat, these stories come out. And I think it leads to the fact that I have this kind of deep, dark sense of humor because our family has this sense of humor about things that happened that were very difficult. But I think in many ways, people who have been through struggles and, and legacies, legacies of struggle, 
find a way through it with humor. And, you know, that's what I found in the United States with the communities I was a part of with my friends in Harlem, with my friends in Brooklyn. There's a very strong tie to how people deal with life. You, you kind of deal with it with a smile and you don't let people know that they're getting you down and you try and be positive about it as positive as, as you don't, can. Don't be. look like your circumstance. That's what they say. Don't look right. like your circumstance. <laughs> Never look like that. You know, no matter what, you looked great at church on Sunday. It didn't matter what your week looked like or how bad things were. Right. right? So there were these inherent things that were put in play that I realized were incredible boosts to the person I became, but also hindrances in some ways, because there are those chains that are very hard to break. There are those moments where you feel, am I being ungrateful? Look what my father went through. Look what my mother went through. Look what my grandparents went through. Why am I, you know, shaking things up over here? And I think that is part of a legacy that's going to take time. It happened in in America. It happened in the United States. I was privileged to work with an incredible team of people in 2020 on a program called The Art of Protest. And we started building this following George Floyd. And we gathered all these artists that were telling their stories about how they were portraying art as Black males in America and how they were formulating a story around protest using their art. So I was very privileged to have a lens on on racial injustice and inequality and social justice from various countries' views. And I never profess to know anything because I am a constant student, but I just feel so lucky that I've got to learn and see and be a passenger on this journey as well and see what people have been sharing because my philosophy in life is, I don't care if we agree to disagree. All I ever wanted was for you to sit down with me and talk about it. Right. And then most most people are not willing to do that. You know, when you have that program of racism, it's already in there, right? It's already, the, the, the chip has already been planted. And so most people are not willing or not open to actually sit down and have a conversation and have their, essentially their whole being challenged, right? If you actually give somebody facts and those facts counteract with what they've been told their entire life, they might implode. <laughs> Absolutely. So they, they, you know, and so that that's the fear that I'm, that I will no longer cease to exist. It really goes down to your total existence. I mean, we hold on to our beliefs so strongly, and I agree that I think some we should. At the same time, you need to have some what I call emotional flexibility, where you can actually yeah. take in other ideas and feel them out. Hey, you know what? I was I was actually misinformed for the last 10 years. This actually makes this actually makes sense to me, right? So, I mean, the whole notion that one human being is inferior to another human being is kind of ridiculous when you just kind of look at it, right? We all have superior and inf- inferior qualities as human beings. So, anyway, Absolutely. I'm 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 off that that high horse, but what I heard you say in your what I heard you say in your answer was almost like there was almost like a subtle guilt where, you know, you came from from these circumstances and now you're in a different place. And so there was some almost like feeling of I maybe I don't deserve this. Oh, my goodness. I mean, talk about nails on heads here. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've I've carried this emotional baggage with me for for many years. And sometimes, you know, I'm doing fine and I pick up the baggage again because you know, as much as you heal, you try to have the emotional bandwidth to be open-minded about things. Sometimes you fall into old habits and 
the one thing I learned is to just be honest with myself. And if, if something is slipping out of place, let it slip and deal with it the way you have to. So absolutely, there's a lot of guilt. I mean, if, if you look at my life compared to the life people in my family had, I had a world of opportunity open up to me. I mean, as a woman of color that came from the circumstances I came with, I still got to build an American dream for myself, you know, in, in my own way, with, with everything I did and, and tried to disrupt as, as peacefully disruptive as I was and am, I was still able to function and move forward. And I know I'm luckier than most. I know there's people that never, even the fact that I moved to the States and didn't know anybody and was starting out scratch, from scratch, I had opportunities and I had tools in my cachet that others don't have. And that's you know what I said before about we're all swimming against different currents here. You cannot just look at someone and say, oh, you know, pick yourself up and you know, get out and do it. It's so easy for us to, to see a circumstance where a human being and feel like we have it figured out for them, right? I suppose there's people who look at us and feel the same way. But everybody's carrying that bag, that bag of guilt, that bag of whatever it is. Everybody's carrying a bag of something. Bag lady. And the sooner. Don't hurt your bag. <laughs> you know what we realize? Carrying all the bags, right? <laughs> Oh, boy. And none of them are designer bags. None of the bags are cute. <laughs> no, these are these are these are, these are these are beat up paper bags, paper and plastic bags that somebody else used, and now we're carrying them exactly. anyway. They are not cute. <laughs> oh man! Shout out to Erica Badu. All right. So speaking of that, <laughs> speaking of bags. Let's switch. Let's switch over to this little fun section. Uh, our last section. I'm going to call it this or that. It came to me actually this morning. I was walking my daughter to school. I was like, why don't I do this or that? And then um, that song by Black Sheep came into my head. You know, engine, engine, number nine. That one. So anyway, we'll do uh, this or that. So I'm going to say two words, and then you tell me okay. what's your what's your preference. Okay. And if you want to okay. go into a little like dialogue about why, it's fine. If not, we move on. Okay. Here we go. This is that. First one. New York or Hong Kong? Ooh, Hong Kong. Okay. You want to say why? You see me taking a breath here. Okay. I, I had to take a breath. Okay. So New York was essentially home for me for a very long time. New York was good to me. Yeah. The reason I asked that people are listening, because she lives in Hong Kong. We didn't mention that, but she lives in Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah I live in, I, I'm in Hong Kong right now. So, you know, it's, New York has always been the center of the universe to me. I've been all over the world. No matter where I went, I would come back and New York was the center of the universe. I think the reason why I said that, which is Hong Kong, is because I left during the pandemic when we had all been housebound, when the lights on Broadway were dark, many of our friends had moved away and the, the situation in New York had changed. And I had an opportunity to come to a brand new place and see a brand new world that I haven't done in a very, very long time. The reason why I say Hong Kong now is not because I think any differently of New York. Okay. It's because I have been on this journey of self-discovery, which has been a true gift during a time when people are very stuck and stifled to 
reimagine myself in a new way, in a new environment. In I don't know if you've ever been. This is uh-huh. one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. Wow. And having this opportunity to be able to go out and hike, hiking trails literally five minutes from my apartment and beaches and the most international foods. And, you know, there's there's so many things about Hong Kong that is incredible. But the reason why I said Hong Kong with this question is Hong Kong used to be a British colony. I come from a British colony. Mm. There was a certain sense of home when I mm. came here. Okay. And I've been missing home. I've been missing little things, bits and pieces of home. And there were these little nuances when you come to a place in Asia that reminds you of South Africa. Mm. There's something mind blowing about it. Is. it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the thing that has drawn me to it for now. If we have a conversation a year from now, the city might change in the this or that. But for now, I'm Team Hong Kong. <laughs> okay. All right. Second one. What's your preference? Communicate or wait? Communicate. I have two minds, but I'm going to say communicate because I spent so long waiting to communicate that I feel like it was like sand slipping through my fingers and I should have just, I'm not saying, say the first thing that comes to mind. No, let me no, put clarity no, I get that. Here. Yeah, I get that. But I'm saying if something is amiss and you can, here's my point. Even if it ends a relationship, be honest yeah. and say what you need to say, because yeah. staying in the maelstrom of something that, you know, probably both of you or the entire team is unhappy about is serving no one. So communicate. Every single thing that I have seen shut down in this world was somehow tied to poor communication. Mm, And I'm not just saying that. No, great point. Great point. I put this in here because I've noticed even when I work with my my own clients and particularly female clients, which is interesting, balancing that nuance of when to say something or when to wait is difficult. There's power in both, but you need to know when to pull the trigger on either one. And that's, I think that just comes with time and and your own self-confidence. For sure. Number three, Trump or Biden? (laughs) Oh my God. Is this a real question, Biden? (laughs) Okay. Number four, pizza or broccoli? Pizza. (laughs) Oh my God, you think I lived in New York for over 20 years because I like broccoli? (laughs) Number five. Number five, meditate or create? Create. Mm. I think through creation, you have an opportunity to meditate as well. I am such a creative person. I think that allowing yourself to creative gives you the peace, gives you the opportunity to take that moment of pause, Mm -hmm. gives you all of the tools you need. I think some of us are afraid to be creative. I think we're afraid to put ideas down on paper or uh, take a paintbrush up because we're so inside our own heads. Create. I had a saying, my business partner came up with it. It was called don't wait, create. We were using it on everything. Wonderful things came from it. Don't wait, create. Just go for it. I I always say- You can wait to meditate. (laughs) I always say no better time than the present. But this question was a little unfair because- for me, in my experience, meditation has allowed me or helped me to create. Actually, I create it through the meditation. So, but that's another, that's a whole nother thing. All right. Number whatever we're at. I think we're at six. 
Six. <laughs> feeling or thinking? Ooh. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> this is, okay, this is a good one. This is a really good one. I think I think too much. Ah. I I get inside my own head and it's like a scene from Street Fighter. You know, it's just my thoughts battling each other. Um, I think I need to be more in touch with my feelings sometimes, leading all back to what we've been discussing through this entire, because feelings lead to instincts and our emotions and the cycle of things. So feel. And even if you're feeling cruddy, allow yourself to feel cruddy and work through it and figure out why. Don't think too much. Thinking can be... Oof. Then you need to meditate. Then you need to go to Okay. <laughs> Number seven. Bath or shower? Bath. Oh my gosh. And I'm gonna tell you why I said that because okay. I was in an apartment in Brooklyn for so many years and it was a shower. And I came to Hong Kong and there was a tub. And I spend way too much time in the tub now. It was like the greatest gift. Maybe that's why I said Hong Kong over New York. Because <laughs> of the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> you could have moved to Jersey to get a bathtub. Anyway. I could have moved to Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have. I live in. I have a bathtub. I live in Jersey. All right. Okay. Well, you're one of the lucky ones. Like you're, one one. Of the, you're like one of three people in New York that has a tub. Come on. <laughs> All right, last one, number eight. Long day or long night? Long night. Long night, okay. Long okay. night for all right. me. All right. That's, that's always, <laughs> and if there's certain places in New York I can point you to, I think my post, my wanted post is on the wall, so <laughs> long night. They're missing you. All right, all right, awesome, awesome. Cool. Karen, that's actually all I got. Thank you so much for coming on The Truth Prescription today. Thank you so much. This was great. No, this is fantastic. I hope the the folks got some uh, dollops of truth. And uh, I will sign off as I always do, that the truth will set you free if you let it.